1: Welcome to Understanding the Brain. This podcast is designed to introduce individuals with or without a background in science to the modern field of neuroscience, drawing on everyday experience and popular books, as well as current research to enlighten the listener. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Well, today we have a great guest, Dr. Sarah Lazar from Harvard as well as Massachusetts General Hospital. And she has a PhD and she has it in neuroscience of yoga and meditation is what she works at, at the Lazar Lab where they study the impact of yoga and meditation on various cognitive and behavioral functions. So I can't really wait to find out what's new in regards to yoga and meditation. I know a lot of you are curious and a lot of you might even perform yoga and meditation. I love it, I think it's a great thing. So let's find out more. Dr. Lazar, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I guess the first question is, what is new in the world of yoga and meditation?
0: Actually, hold on a second. Uh, You're gonna be editing this, right, so. You're good. Yeah, so so there's a lot going on with uh, right now. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a study we published. Mm, actually, it was almost a year ago, but uh, then we've done a couple of follow-up studies with it since then, uh, adding some additional bits to it. And what the study was was we randomized people to either mindfulness training or exercise, and we uh, put them through an eight-week program, and uh, we did a, a fear conditioning protocol with them. And this is sort of like uh, Pavlov's dogs. You know, when you see, a um, or sort of with Pavlov's dogs, when you hear a bell and see food, you eventually learn to the, the bell means that you're going to get food. Well, we did the same thing, but we paired a light with a mild electric shock. So they learned that the light meant they were going to get this mild electric shock. And then we unpaired it <laughs> and then we just showed them the light again to see you know, h- you know, how well they remember that they're gonna get shocked or not gonna get shocked. And we do this before and after eight weeks of med- meditation or before and after eight weeks of exercise. Um, and what we saw was really, really uh, interesting that there was a difference. Um, so both groups, I should also pause and say that both groups uh, were equally efficacious in terms of reducing stress. And uh, a couple other sort of normal psychological questionnaires; those were the same between the two groups. But the brain responses were very, very different to shock. And what we saw, which is really cool, was that um, what happens with the exercise group is sort of we didn't really expect this part of it. So the exercise group at baseline they learned that the light meant they were going to get shocked so the eight weeks they remembered that so when we brought them back at the post time point they saw the light and instead of showing the normal they were doing this and because i they knew they're gonna get shocked and so they were they were fearful and so they didn't they didn't respond like they were they, they were against being shocked versus the mindfulness group they were just open relaxed and even though they knew they were gonna get shocked they also remember get shocked, they just allowed themselves to get shocked and they just, it was, um, you know, wow. and they were just, and they just sort of, okay, I know I'm going to get shocked and it's okay. And when we should more relaxed and allowing they were to allow this to happen to them. The more stress reduction they reported, the more other positive psychological changes and also the more that they had practiced. And this is sort of well known in the field of, of, of anxiety that often like, so people with phobias. You, like say you have a spider phobia if you're like oh my god I, I can't even see the, pho- the spider I, you know I can't even you know look at it you know that's not how you get over the you know you get over your spider phobia okay I see the spider I'm not liking it but you allow the spider to get near you and then you touch the spider and you know you, you sort of build up your tolerance and eventually it's like okay I can tolerate being near the spider and I can relax and be okay with a spider and similarly with the shock, we're seeing the exact same thing. It's like, okay, this is happening. I don't like it, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just gonna let it happen. And this is really important right now in times of COVID, because with COVID, it's the exact same thing. We're all getting shocked, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing we can do about it. You know, every time you go to the store, there's a chance you're gonna get, you know, infected. Every time, you know you come into contact with certain people, there's a chance you're gonna get infected. Uh, There's nothing we can do about other people not wearing that, you know, doing uh, dangerous things. There's nothing we can do about the speed with which the vaccine will get delivered or how effective it will be. There's nothing we can do about any of that. So we can be all defensive and scared or we can be okay, This is it. I can't control it, but can I just relax and be okay with life? Because right now, alive, I'm still breathing. You know, I'm not on a respirator. Can I just be okay with that? And right now, I'm okay. And uh, you know, that's really. I think that's what helps a lot of people get through this this um, epidemic, is being able to just say, okay, I'm not in control, but can I be okay
1: with it? Kind of interesting. now I have a flood of questions for you. So <laughs> I hope you're ready. It actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the 12 <laughs> steps, right? Uh, give me the power to, to control. I can't remember the whole saying now, and, and the patience of not uh, being able to yeah. handle yeah. the things. I just messed that all up. But anyway, folks, you got what I meant. <laughs> you kind of figured that one out. But let me ask you this, Dr. Lazar. A couple of things popped up in my head PTSD. This sounds like this could be really good for PTSD. Or people who are suffering from ptsd
0: yeah yeah definitely um there have definitely been numerous studies not numerous there definitely have been studies with mindfulness and yoga for ptsd um, so mindfulness and yoga there's a lot of similarities but there's also some subtle but important differences one thing that happens with mind is that you're sitting there meditating quietly and all of a sudden this old memory will pop up you know i've not thought about in years and it's like a little minor trauma from long ago um like for me it was a huge fight on the playground with another girl i got sent to the principal's office you know so here it was 20 years later i'm sitting and meditating all of a sudden boom i'm back in the principal's office you know but for me you know that was one of the most traumatic things that happened to me in my life right so obviously someone who's had real serious trauma you know, they need to be aware that that could happen. Boom, they're back in the car accident. Boom, they're back in the, you know, being molested or raped or, you know, or in the foxhole or whatever. They're not ready for that. Um, you, know, it can, you know, it can be even more uh, dramatic, you know, because they're, they're not expecting it. Um, for whatever reason, it happens so much with yoga. So what they're finding is that often for people with PTSD, that yoga, tai chi, these sorts of practices are a little bit easier, um, more gentle. And so they're a little better able to tolerate some of these practices a little bit more easily.
1: I guess for those out there who are more familiar with neuroscience, it sounds like it has an impact on the amygdala then?
0: Yeah, definitely we now have three studies where we show that the amygdala change in the amygdala correlates with changes in stress. And what's cool is that, so for instance, in that exercise study I told you about, it only happened for the mindfulness group. So both groups reduce stress, but the change in stress was only correlated with the change in the amygdala for the mindfulness group. So it's really clear it's doing something
1: unique. absolutely. And how about novel traumas? In other words, um, something that happens to us now do we develop a better wall of resilience mm-hmm. when we encounter a trauma if we do yoga and my meditation? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. There's um, a woman at the uh, um, University of Miami, or uh, University of Florida in Miami, and uh, she works with um, uh, military recruits before being and teaching them mindfulness. And there is some evidence that yes, that they are more resilient and that they are better able to, you know, because boot camp itself is extremely stressful. (laughs) And what they see is that the recruits that practice mindfulness have better, are better able to maintain health and also their cognitive abilities over the course of the eight weeks of boot camp or, or I don't know how long boot camp is, but you know, however long boot camp is they're you know, they're better able to maintain themselves over the eight weeks compared to the people with other programs.
1: Fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. Again, folks, you can find out more about it at the Lazar Lab. Um, let me ask you this, doctor. We talked about this. I teach forensic psych and criminal psychopathology. I mentioned it before the show. Um, what have you seen any impact in regards to aggression? We know there's no real criminal gene but there are criminal traits like aggression and lack of, I mean, impulsivity, uh, disinhibition, things of that nature. Did you see anything in regards to aggression in yoga and meditation?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um, we'll start with the easier one first, the, uh, the impulsivity. So with mindfulness, you're sitting there, you're meditating and your mind, something pops up in your mind. Oh, I got to go do this. And when I'm done sitting and Oh, why am I sitting here? I need to go do this. Um, or like I said, an old memory. comes, And so the impulse is to follow that thought. But what you're trying to do in meditation is to let that thought go and just sit and back to your breath, come back to your breath. And, most people report that that spills over into real life. You know, that something, you know, in real life at the moment, something happens and you can see the impulse to respond to, to, sorry. You can see the impulse to react, you know, to say something, you know, someone says something negative to you, you and urge to just say, Oh yeah, well, mm-hmm. but you don't. Right. Because you practice restraint over and over and over again while you're sitting. And so many, many people report that. They often call it the pause. And often what you see also is that during that pause, a more adaptive um, uh, and more useful response arises if you just pause and don't go with the impulsive reactivity. The other way that uh, practice can help is there's a whole um, set of practices for developing kindness and compassion both for oneself and for others. And they really work. There have been numerous studies demonstrating that they decrease self-talk and depression. They also increase positive regard for others. And so I've imagined some people who are feeling aggressive that if they're doing more compassion for themselves, more compassion for others, that that's over time gonna to start to change some of those
1: aggressive thoughts and feelings. Yeah, that be a wonderful study to look at hostile attribution bias and see if that's impacted at all by um, yoga and meditation. Fascinating stuff. Really fascinating. Um, I guess my last couple of questions here, we talked about aggression actually kind of remind me, um, we talked about impulsivity remind me of the Walter and Michelle study with the marshmallow effect. They got those cute videos with those little kids. I guess maybe that could help them, <laughs> but I guess that's one of my questions too. Yeah. Yoga and meditation, does it work with children?
0: Yes. Yeah, there have been numerous studies with young children. Be as young as like five, six, seven, eight. Typically, you know, you don't do formal sitting meditation with those kids. mean you can, uh, but you're really good for young kids. Also, what you might do is rather than sitting and watching your breath, you might like listen to a bell, or sometimes there'll be, um, I know sometimes some teachers will like get a snow globe, and then they shake the globe and they say, okay, watch, just watch the snow settle. And then watch how your mind sort of settles as the snow settles, right? Or they might have the kids lie on the floor and then they put something on their stomach so then they can feel the, like they put a rubber ducky in the stomach and they feel the rubber ducky going up and down to help watch their breath. But then slightly older kids, like 10, 12, you know, they can really start doing real mindfulness meditation and teenagers love it. I, we've, I know several studies where they brought it into schools and the kids really picked it up and really you know, uh, incorporate it into their day in unexpected, unexpected ways.
1: Great stuff. I guess my last three questions here. (laughs) Does it have an impact on ADHD?
0: Um, I don't
1: know the answer to that one. (laughs) I I kind of follow research.
0: So sorry. No
1: worries. We'll go to number two. Uh, Have you seen anything in regards to prison, prison inmates using yoga or meditation?
0: I don't know of any actual scientific studies but there are two really wonderful one here in the states one over in India and the one here in the states is called Dharma Brothers DHA actually Dharma Brothers DHARMA Brothers and I'm pretty sure you can get it on you know Netflix and Amazon these sorts of things and it's wonderful. So it's set in one of the highest maximum prison, security prisons in the States It's down in Alabama. And they go in and they do a 10 day silent retreat with these inmates. And you know they interview them before, during and after the 10 days. And it's amazing. So just 10 days. And I mean, you can just see, you can see it in their face and in the way they talk, like they really, really got it. And it's 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 a pretty powerful um, documentary. I highly recommend. And then the other one is called um, Doing Time, Doing Vipassana. That's one that's set in India, and that's uh, you know they bring Goenka meditation into these giant prisons in India. And so um, you again, and it says uh, there's some interesting some interesting outcomes there. So, uh, but I highly recommend the first one, the the the, the Dhamma brothers.
1: I going to check it out. I guess we got some future research studies for the doctoral students coming up. If they need a topic, these are some interesting topics. I guess my last question will be, we've talked about meditation and yoga, how it helps with anxiety, how it helps with the aggression, impulsivity. Are there variations of, of the type? I mean, are there styles of yoga and meditation that work better in certain areas or anything you would recommend?
0: Um, At this point, there isn't a whole lot of data about that. So what I usually tell people, it's sort of like exercise, right? All exercise is beneficial. And you know, some people like to swim, some people like to bike, some people like to play soccer, you know, and it's sort of a little bit of, you know, what suits you best. And I feel the same is true for the different types of yoga meditation. You know, there's definitely, like I said, like the compassion meditation is really great for aggression specifically. But even just yoga and normal meditation are also, you know, they'll definitely help with the aggression, right? But I, I feel like the compassion would be a little bit better for that sort of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to do what's comfortable for you and what you, you like and what you enjoy. So if you really like doing yoga, do yoga. If you like doing Tai Chi, do, do Tai Chi. If you like doing sitting meditation, you know, and just watching your breath, that's great. If you want to use a mantra, that's great. So at this point, I think it's more important just to find something that you like and you can commit to.
1: I have to say it always fascinates me when antiquity meets modernity. We've been doing these things for centuries, and now we're finally looking at it through a neuroscient- scientific lens, and it's amazing to see it. Dr. Lazar, great work. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me.